I had to move a little forward tonight because of the darkness back there. I can't see my Bible. So, I'm coming out of the darkness into the light. I guess that's a biblical concept anyway, huh? 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. So tonight's passage deals a lot, predominantly, with leadership in the church. And um, so many people would go, well, since this is predominantly speaking to the spiritual leaders of the church, then it probably doesn't have a lot to say to me. Not true. Because a lot of the principles that Paul is laying down for Timothy here in this passage of Scripture can really be applied to all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And speaking of that, that's sort of where I want to start tonight. You'll notice in chapter uh, 1, or chapter 5, verse 17, that as Paul begins to remind Timothy, this young pastor, about some things, that let's also remember that the foundation for this entire letter is chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, where Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm writing these things to you, So that you can have the knowledge and then pass that knowledge on to your congregation, your local church that you're over, that this is how church is to be done by God's design. That God has a certain way, a certain code of conduct for his people and how they are to behave themselves in the household of God, the church of the living God, to support and bulwark of the truth, as he says in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So everything that Paul says to Timothy in this letter has something to do with how we do church, how church is to be done, see? And God has a certain way to do it, a certain design in mind when he created the church to begin with. So again, tonight, from verse 17 of chapter 5, really down through the rest of the chapter, uh, he's going to talk about spiritual leadership and and some things along those lines. But then we're going to get into a few of the verses in chapter 6 tonight as well. And there he talks about slaves. So I do want to say this, because I don't want to take the time once we get there. I just want to dive into it. I I want to sort of give a a little bit of of a historical background, if you will, about slavery. Because many times when we read about slavery or slaves in the Bible, obviously our mind automatically goes to what we know best in America, which is our history of slavery, the Civil War, all that. And for the most part, that kind of slavery has nothing to do with the kind of slavery that's described in the Bible. Okay? I'm not saying that there were not slaves that were abused, uh, but for the most part, when the Bible addresses slaves, they are actually addressing what you and I would call today household servants, manservants, maidservants. And that for the most part, they became part of the family. They were a valued member of the family, if you will. And uh, they were well taken care of. And they had responsibilities in the complex, if you will, especially of the wealthier families that could afford these servants to be part of their household. I mean, even go back to foreign countries like Egypt, where we learn about Joseph, serving in Potiphar's house. Uh, It was actually many times a great honor to serve. So it it, it was, it's a little bit different. So a better way to look at passages in the New Testament when it talks to slaves and masters, 
A better way for us to apply those passages to our own life is to more think of it as employer-employee relationships. That, that actually gets closer to what it was back there than what we think of many times in America when we think of slavery, you see. So we'll get to that when we get into chapter 6. But first, I want to start in verse 17, where Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, the spiritual leaders of your church who are serving alongside of you, called elders, it's a general term for the spiritual leaders, should provi- who provide effective leadership must be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard in speaking and teaching. A couple things about leadership that I want to talk about because it applies to all of us. First of all, the concept and the word for leadership here is that one who is willing to take the responsibility to stand before others. And when you think about that, all of us in some way then are leaders. Because all of us have some kind of responsibility throughout our lives where we are taking responsibility to stand before others. Now, obviously, the more that we stand before, the higher that goes, then obviously the greater the responsibility, the greater the privileges, but the greater the responsibility. And what I want to say tonight is just, I want to thank all of those here at our church who are willing to take on responsibility to stand before others. It's not easy. And one of the things about leadership, especially spiritual leadership, when you and I are willing to stand before others in some capacity, it puts a mark on us. It's, it's almost like, you know, we, we are part of now the enemy's attention. We, we have the enemy, our enemy's attention. Because the enemy is going to come after leaders. He just is. That's you know, what he's always done, and that's what he always will do. Now, obviously, he comes after all of us every once in a while. It's what the Bible describes as spiritual warfare, Ephesians chapter 6. And all of us as Christians, at one time or another, we deal with that, with the attack of our spiritual enemy. But especially those in leadership who stand before others will be marked in a special way by the enemy. Another thing I want to say about leadership is this. And this was something that I learned very young in my ministry. And that is this. Christian leadership is relative. Because there's really only one leader. And that is Christ. The rest of us are humble followers. No matter what, all of us have to be followers. In fact, that's really what leadership is. If you and I never learn to follow, then we will never be good leaders of any kind. Isn't that why even Jesus, when he met his disciples and called them into service, what did he say to them? Follow me. If you can't learn to follow me, then you will never lead Others And throughout the Bible, we have example after example of those that were 
going to be even in bigger positions of leadership who had to learn for years to follow others first. Let's go back to Moses and Joshua. How many years did Joshua serve under Moses before Moses passed off the scene and Joshua assumed leadership of the nation of Israel? A long time. And Joshua was a good follower because he followed Moses as Moses followed the Lord. Then think about Elisha and Elijah. Elisha learned to follow in the footsteps of Elijah and learned a lot. Now, I I do want to say this. In all of these instances, though, as it should be in a good, healthy relationship between, say, two Christians one who may be a little bit more advanced than the other, they still are both building into one another. It's not all one-sided. It never should be. In other words, Moses wasn't just giving everything to Joshua and not getting anything from Joshua. Moses was also learning from Joshua in that relationship. And just like Elijah and Elisha, Elijah was learning from Elisha in that relationship as well. Now, where that would be a little bit different is when we come to Jesus and his disciples. And yet in that, again, I want to point out that when Jesus was grooming these men to become leaders that would eventually turn the world upside down, it was all about learning simply to follow him, to accompany him, to walk down the same pathway that he was walking, to walk in his footsteps. And so they had to learn to do that, walking beside of him. And then, look at this letter. This is a great example again of that very thing, because here's Paul and Timothy, this this great relationship between these two Christians. And Paul is building into Timothy, but let's not forget, Timothy would have been, you know, building into Paul as well. It, It would have been a mutual thing. And they were growing and learning from their relationship with each other. That's the way God designed our lives to work. We're going to talk a lot more about that on Sunday. It amazes me how God, you know, can put these messages together and how they can sort of, you know, run parallel with each other, even though I threw these messages out, you know, months ago and never really realized how they were going to tie together. But that's what we're going to talk about Sunday. That's really why God calls us to do this Christian life together because He wants us to to be around certain people and, and, and where we can mutually sort of encourage and support and help and grow one another as we all keep following. So all of us are followers. No matter what position we have, we are followers. And then I want to say this. Another thing is that fellowship and servantship both must precede and accompany Christian leadership. That is something that I have tried to instill in my own life and then tried to pass on to others. Let me repeat that. It's something I wrote down a long time ago and put it in my Bible. Fellowship and servantship. Both must precede and accompany Christian leadership. Because again, when Jesus calls us to be leaders, 
The ultimate leaders in God's eyes are those who are good followers and servants. Servants. Which is why even Jesus, amongst his disciples, took that towel, wrapped it around his waist, and went around and washed the feet of his disciples. And said, I did not come, even as the Lord of glory, to be served, but to serve. And there is a special joy that you and I get when we give to others and when we serve others. That's why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see. And so that's what Christian leadership is. That's what spiritual leadership is. That's what leadership in the church should be. If we are leaders, then we are simply... uh, taken on an extension of being an even, you know, more dedicated follower and an even greater servant to others. That's what leadership in the church should be. And we need to sort of nail that. Now, obviously here in verse 17, Paul says, I want to let the church know that that God places great value on the teaching of His Word. Which is why he says, those spiritual leaders that wear themselves out teaching and preaching are worthy of double honor. Because God says to the spiritual leaders of the church, this is what you focus on. Which is why I have always tried to focus on that. And then if you go up to chapter 6, Look at verse 2 there towards the end. He says once again, because that's going to be the last thing we end with tonight, is this verse right before verse 3 of chapter 6. Notice Paul then again says to Timothy, teach them, teach the word of God to them and exhort them about these things. Admonish them, warn them is what the word exhort means in this context. So again, there is heavy emphasis here on the pastors, the leaders, teaching the people of God the Word of God. Even when he says in verse 17, and those that wear themselves out studying and teaching and speaking are worthy of double honor. Let that be the focus, you see. So often spiritual leaders can get distracted and get caught up in so many things But God wants His people to be taught the Word of God. It's why Jesus even said to Peter, after He restored Peter, after Peter had denied Him, and yet God had wonderful plans for Peter. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Then He says in verse 18 of chapter 5. For the Scripture says, by the way, notice there he's saying the Old Testament Scripture. And so he is giving equal weight to the Old Testament and the New Testament here. He says, for the Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Basically, don't hinder and don't hold back those who are ministering for the Lord. And again, that's a principle for all of us. You know, One of the things that I try to do in my role as the pastor 
is when I have leaders underneath of me who are doing things for the Lord, not to micromanage them to the point where they can't be free to just go and do, that somehow I don't want any of our leaders, no matter who it is, to feel like they're hamstrung or like, you know, they, they are hindered in some way or they're being held back by me. Because that's not good for any of us. And we shouldn't be that way with others. When God calls us to positions within the church, He wants us to have the freedom within, you know, obviously the authority of the church and all that, to be able to run with our ministry and do what the Lord has called us to do without feeling like we're being muzzled, if you will, or held back or hindered in some way. And obviously He applies this here to those that are teaching the Word. And then he says, and the worker deserves his pay. This is sort of tied in with, remember last week we talked about the widows that deserve to be supported by the church. And I think that sparked, obviously, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that thought in Paul that, and if we're going to talk about people who deserve to be compensated and whatever, then I want to mention this as well. Then he goes on to say this. Do not accept an accusation, a charge, or a complaint against an elder unless it can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. In other words, don't allow somebody who just has an axe to grind against a leader to to be able to, to do that. Because sometimes people, and sometimes this is the way the devil can get into the church, is by just, you know, leaders of the church just always, you know, having criticisms thrown at them. But then he does say this, for those leaders that continue to sin, sin in such a way that it is damaging the church, he said they must be called out before all, verse 20, as a warning to the rest, that all of us as Christians, but especially leaders, have a great responsibility. Then he goes on to say this, verse 21. Before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. And notice, I thought that was interesting because we've been talking in Ephesians about how the angels like to look into the church and see what's going on. And so even here, Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you realize that everything that is done at the church is done before the face of God and the angels. They, they're looking in to see what's going on as well. And then he says, I solemnly, I earnestly charge you to carry out these commands without prejudice or favoritism of any kind. In other words, do what's best for the body. Do what's best for the church. And don't allow your relationships at times to cloud your judgment. Now I want to go back to something here because again, it's a great application for all of us. The words carry out these commands in verse 21 literally in the greek language means to exercise unbroken vigilance like a military guard would that's important for all of us all of us need to be vigilant and be aware of what's going on in our lives and all around us at all times you see And we need to maintain that unbroken vigilance like a military guard. Because, again, we're we're marked by the enemy. 
And we could be under attack at any time. And so we've got to be aware of that. And in this context, he's saying, and when people in the church and when leaders in the church start to make decisions based upon relationships only and not what's best for the church, that's a way for the enemy to get in there and begin to cause a lot of problems and begin to cause division and dissension. Let me break this down even a little further. The word prejudiced here, which we're not to make decisions with prejudice, means to form an opinion about something before all the facts are known. Again, that's a great principle for all of us. You know, I mean, heck, that's even good for parents or grandparents or anybody, you know. Sometimes I, when my kids were at home, you know, they Stephen might go, hey, Beth did so-and-so. Well, if I was wise, I, I would get Beth's side of the story, too. Because, you know, sometimes making a decision before all the facts are known, you sometimes can make wrong decisions. Now, again, you know, we, we know our kids in situations like that, but that's what that word means. Make sure in life, and especially as spiritual leaders in the church, that we have all the facts before us before we make a decision. Otherwise, according to the Bible, that's making a prejudiced decision. And then he goes on to say, and don't show favoritism of any kind. Don't be partial to somebody just because of your relationship with them, you see. Don't have this pre-inclination towards somebody Again, just because of relation. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we can't be closer to certain people and have friends that we're closer to in the body. That's not what it's saying. It's simply saying that, especially as spiritual leaders, we've always got to make decisions about what's best for the church, what's best for the body. And we can't allow our relationships that we do have in the body to influence us in that way. We've always got to come back to what's best for the whole, you see. And if that means, say, in an instance that, and I'm just going to use an example, if, if I have someone that I'm closer to than someone else, but, he, but this person is more qualified for the position, then I should choose that person over my friend because that's going to benefit the body more. That's what he's saying to this young pastor. And by the way, I, I want to say this at this point. You realize that all these instructions, sort of these bullet points that Paul's giving Timothy about things that he should be aware of as a pastor in the church or even being a spiritual leader is many years after he already was pastoring. Now think about that for a minute. It wasn't like he went through all this training and then got this church that he was pastoring. No. He was already pastoring this church. In fact, in the first chapter, we were like, he wants to actually leave. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I've had it. And Paul's like, no, you've got to stay on at Ephesus. God's going to use you. you just got to hang in there. But I'm going to talk to you about some things because maybe there's some things that are causing you problems that maybe if you'd have done them a little bit differently, you could have saved yourself some problems. But I do like the fact that you know, when God calls us into something, He doesn't say, 
you're going to have to have this all figured out first. That's never happened to me. Just like when he called me to plant this church, it wasn't like I had all this figured out ahead of time. I still don't have all this figured out. I hope that doesn't give you a sense of like, because here's why that's cool, is that means we depend and rely on the Lord. It's not, you know, Jeff's wit and and wisdom that's going to get us through. I have none. It's that we just look to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, where we go from here? What do we do next? How do we, how do we do this? Because if we figured it all out ahead of time, then what need do we have for God? And that's why God, when he calls us into ministry, he says, now look, you're not going to have all this ever figured out. What I am going to ask you to do is you just keep following me one step at a time. And again, that, that's a principle not true just as, as, as ministers and servants in the church. That's true in our lives. We're not going to have any of this in life figured out. God just says, look to me every day and I'll give you what you need every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And then I'll go from there. And then tomorrow, I'll come back. Because Jesus said, don't worry about the next day. It's got enough problems of its own. Let's just get through this day. Let's just focus here. Let me give you what you need for this day. And then come back to me for tomorrow's stuff. So that's one of the things that we see here as well. And then he goes on to say this. Verse 22. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily. In other words, don't be pressured to promote somebody to a position in your church. Get to know them first. Again, what a great principle for all of us. Let them come for a while. Be very wary about people who just burst into the local church and automatically from the very get-go say, hey, I want you to put me in this position. I've had years of experience. That's great. I'm glad you have years of experience. But me or no one else in this church is going to automatically just put you into some position. We got to get to know you. You got to prove yourself. That's true. That's just a biblical principle because he goes on to say, if we don't, sometimes we get caught up in the sins of other people. We don't necessarily know what's really going on with them. We haven't got to know them yet. We might put them in a position and then regret it which I've done. Now, not with the people we have now, okay? But in the past, yep, absolutely. I got burned. So we all have to be careful and cautious about putting people in certain positions. Give it time. And in time, you and I will get to know them. In fact, I want to skip a couple verses and I'll come back. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in verses 24 and 25. Notice these verses. He says, the sins of some people are obvious. They're clear. They're openly evident. Going before them into judgment. But for others, they show up later. They're not as clear. Similarly, similarly, I can never say that word. Good works are also, you know, sometimes obvious. But the ones that aren't, they're not going to remain hidden forever. They're not always going to be concealed. And and what Paul is saying is, look, and here's the principle for 24 and 25. Time and truth will walk together. You give something enough time, 
and what's really there will come out. Because it's not always evident at first. That's why you and I have to be careful, again, about, you know, certain things and, and giving certain people certain responsibilities because we don't see everything at first. And sometimes it takes a while for what's really there or what's really not there to show up, you see. So we've just got to give it time and let, let what's really there eventually come out. I love that phrase, time and truth walk hand in hand. Because, for instance, in my life, um, there have been times where people have, say, uh, attacked, and I felt like it was not, not warranted. It was, it was unjust. It, it wasn't right. But instead of defending myself, God just very clearly said, just keep your mouth shut, keep being who you've always been, and in time, people will see who you really are. And that's really what Paul is saying here to Timothy. He's saying sometimes it's very evident and upfront where people are at and who they really are. And sometimes it's not. So giving it time is really important. So then go back with me um, to verse 23. This is an interesting verse for many reasons. He says, stop drinking just water, but use a little wine for your digestion and your frequent illnesses. Now, several things in there. Number one, I think Timothy was very conscientious and concerned that if he drank wine, he was going to be setting a bad example. And clearly, I think this is one place, amongst others, where the Bible does not, in my opinion, teach total abstinence. I, I do not think that, uh, that the Bible says that if you take a drink of alcohol at any point, that, that that's wrong. Now, the Bible does clearly condemn drunkenness and over-imbibing and alcohol and all of that. But it does not say that a Christian cannot ever have alcohol. But it goes way beyond that. There's other layers here to this verse. Think about this. Here's a young man who, according to Paul, is always sick. He's a young man. He's pastoring this church, and yet he's always sick. Now, a couple things there. One, I think it reminds us that sometimes we serve the Lord and yet we're not always at 100%. God never said, you know, well, you're always going to feel great in serving me. I can't, in fact, my wife could probably tell you even more than that. I can't tell you how many Sundays or Wednesdays throughout 32 years of being a pastor I spoke while I was having a sinus infection, you know, or something like that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to go, oh, I'm just saying, you know, we sometimes have to do it when we're not 100%, you know. I mean, people go to work when they're not feeling good. To me, I'm serving the Lord. I'm not always going to, Go, well, you know what? I have a hangnail today. I think I'll skip church and I'll just call up somebody else to do the sermon for me, you know? No. 
You know, and, and I think that that's good that we do. I mean, now again, I think to be reasonable, it's not like I'm going to hopefully get up there and, you know, keel over. That wouldn't be good either. But sometimes we just have to tough it out. And obviously this young pastor, he was sick a lot of times, and yet he still was out there gutting it out and ministering for the Lord. But then there's another layer. Let's not forget that Paul, we know this, had the gift of healing. And yet notice, Paul doesn't say, hey, Timothy, wait till I can get there in just a you know, few weeks or whatever, and I'll heal you. So what's that teach us? That teaches that even those who had the gift of healing did not have the ability to just heal indiscriminately at their will, at their... It was always under the leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. It was never like, well, because I've got this gift, now I can just go around and touch everybody and everybody that I touch is healed. It was never like that. Because if that was the case, then Paul would have said, oh, let me just heal you. Because we obviously know Paul could heal people, but he doesn't go that route. Notice he says it is perfectly okay to go a natural remedy and that that's not contradictory to God healing us at times. It's okay, in other words, to go to the doctor or take medicine because in this case, the wine would have been more of a medicinal thing. And he's saying, look, the water's bad. The wine, at least through its fermentation process, kills all the bacteria and stuff. So stop just drinking water. Your stomach is never going to settle down. Drink some wine. You're not being spiritual by avoiding wine. You're actually being more spiritual by taking wine every once in a while to get your stomach to settle down a little bit. Because as long as you're just drinking that terrible water, you're always going to have stomach problems. So he was an anti-natural remedies, which is very important because again, some Christians and some people today who believe in God and believe in it, but say it's, you know, it's not right that Christians should just always go the God heal me route and never take medicine or never go to the doctor. That is clearly not what the Bible teaches. And here's a great example of it. So that little verse has a lot in it for us to absorb but um, but I, I wanted to touch on those things tonight. Then if you go down to chapter 6 for just a few moments that we have left. Here's where we get to that whole thing of slaves. And again, like I said, don't think of slaves in the New Testament like we do from our history. It is more like a manservant, maidservant in a household that was a respected member of the family that had great responsibility that was actually, for the most part, well compensated and well taken care of in those days. But obviously, they were still, there was still a burden there because they, they were the servant and not the master. So notice what God says through Paul. And here what he's saying is, look, don't spend all your energy trying to make this whole system in society different. We'll make it different through the influence of the gospel as God gets a hold of people's lives. But it's not going to happen through some social overthrow. It's going to happen very slowly and steadily through people of God having a changed heart. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. 
So he says, those who are under authority. And again, aren't we all under authority? Because we're all followers. Under the yoke as slaves must regard their own masters as deserving of full respect. In other words, again, follow what your master wants to, to do. Be willing to be under their authority. Comply. Don't be, don't be one of these people that is serving and always causing problems with your employer. employer. Be a good servant, you see. Because notice what he goes on to say. And again, this is a great principle for all of us because all of us carry the name of Christ if we're a Christian. He says, by doing this, by being a good employee, if you will, this will prevent the name of God and Christian teaching from being discredited. In other words, being cast in a bad light. If we as Christians and people who we work with know we're Christians, then we carry the name of God and we literally carry the reputation of our God with us every day to work. And we also carry, one way or the other, either the effectiveness of Christian teaching in the Word of God or not. And he says, by the way we approach our job and the way we interact with our employer or those who are in authority over us, it says a lot about who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. You see. God wants us again all to learn to be followers and to be servants. And then he goes on to say this. Those who have believing masters, say your employer or your, uh, you know, the person in authority over you is a, a fellow Christian. Notice what he says here. He says, you must not show them less respect because they are brothers. Sometimes we give less of ourselves to someone because it's like, well, they're, they're a fellow Christian. I don't have to put forth as much. No, Paul's saying it should be just the opposite. Notice he goes on, instead, they are to serve all the more. We should be even more willing to go the extra mile because he says those who benefit, those who are helped from our service are fellow believers, our beloved fellow Christians. But sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes we sort of take advantage of each other, right? I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes we take advantage of each other because we're Christians. And Paul is saying that should not be our mindset. In fact, I want to close with this because this is a really important word that's used over and over and over again in the New Testament. And it goes back to the mindset that God wants to form in our, in our minds, if you will, or in our thinking. It's up there in verse 1. It's the word regard. The word means, first of all, to continually be of the opinion of... Or another way to say it is the leading thought in one's mind. You've heard that phrase. The leading thought in my mind is such and such. I like this definition even better than the first two. And that is to regard something is as a Christian to have an assessment based on God's value system. To assess something based on God's values. 
So when Paul says, this is how God wants us to regard something, he's saying, when we approach something and we begin to roll it over in our mind, what we should always do as a Christian is, is go, what's God's value here? What's important to Him in this? And see, let's not forget, and again, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, both on Wednesday night and Sunday. What's important to God is relationships. And positively impacting and influencing others for Christ and for His kingdom. So that should be the leading thought in my mind. Is this going to damage my ability to be able to maybe reach that person for Christ? Is this going to damage my relationship with this person to where we can't work together for the cause of Christ? See, those are the things that God wants us to regard. Is this, in this case, is this going to cause my unbelieving authority figure over me, my boss, to see Christ or His Word in a bad light because of me? And so Paul's saying, if that's true, then we shouldn't, do, we shouldn't go down that road. We should always seek to leave a good taste, especially in unbelievers' mouths, but also, Paul says, in our fellow Christians' mouths as well. We should, we should want to have a good relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters, and that they should know something about us, and that is that, that we can be counted on. And if they ask us to do something for them, we're going to do it even better for them because they're my brother or they're my sister. I'm going to give them the very best I've got because they're my brother or sister. They're a beloved fellow Christian. And if I'm going to serve a Christian man, I'm serving Christ. I'm serving Christ. So these are the principles that Paul laid down to this young pastor. Now next week... Next week it changes, but unbelievable stuff as we finish this up in the next couple weeks. Next week, here's the message. Money, godliness, and contentment. Three things that we as Christians really need to be reminded of. Where are we on material possessions and money? Where are we on the subject of godliness? Do we even understand what that is? And what about contentment? Are we really content? Those are the things that Paul wants to talk to us about as we finish up this great letter of 1 Timothy. Well, let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you tonight for the opportunity that we have as Christians to influence and impact other people's lives. Both our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and those that don't know Christ yet. And I pray, God, that we would always be conscious of how we come across and, and what we're doing with, with either our actions or our words to either enhance and make you and, and life with you more attractive and, and compelling to others or whether we're putting a bad taste and leaving a bad taste in other people's mouths, including our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Would they ever ask us to serve with them again? Would they ever ask us to do something again? Would they ever call upon us? 
These are the things that we need to make sure that we regard as we move through life. God, thank you for these great reminders from Paul. And thank you again, God, for the reminder about spiritual leadership. That leadership from God's perspective is really about being a follower and being a servant. Followership and servantship both must precede and accompany Christian leadership. Help us, Lord, to become great followers and great servants for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight, guys. We'll see you next week.